Hello, and welcome to the Future of Legal podcast for GCs and legal leaders. M&A deals and transactions are expected to boom in the post-pandemic world, as many organisations look to deals as a preferred strategic option for accelerating growth and shoring up recovery. We've been looking at this development from a tax and broader market perspective in recent episodes of our Future Of series. And today we look at the legal considerations, predictions and trends in M&A. To lead this discussion, I'm pleased to hand over to Stuart Fuller, Head of KPMG Law and Global Legal Services for KPMG International, who is joined by a panel of professionals in the space. Stuart, over to you. So great, thank you for the introduction. Today we're going to look at trends in business reorganisation and M&A from a legal perspective, but there are some key themes that are emerging during this period of recovery. And as we go through today's uh, discussion, you will hear about corporate reorganizations. We're seeing a lot of demand from clients in this area, whether it's for strategic reasons, business change, uh, raising liquidity or capital, or just positioning businesses to take uh, better advantage for growth. So to help us explore this topic in more depth, I'm pleased today to be joined by a number of my esteemed colleagues. Uh, We have Peter Workman, who's a partner of KPMG Law in the UK. Christian Hensel, who's a partner of KPMG Law in Germany, Uh, Paula Yu, who's a senior partner of Shanghai SF Lawyers for KPMG in Shanghai, Luciana Laurenti, the head of legal and an attorney at Farrar de Camargo e Matanaga Avogados in FCAM, who's our firm we usually work with in Brazil, Uh, and last but certainly not least, Anna Belinsky, a partner and the managing partner of KPMG Law in Canada. So our first topic is the state of play. What are we seeing uh, and what are some of the trends we're seeing in the market today? At KPMG Law, we're seeing an increase in interest from clients in relation to business reorganization in the current market. So what type of approaches are we seeing clients take when it comes to deals? So maybe, Peter, if I go to you first, followed by Paula and then Anna. So, Peter. Thanks, Stuart, and, and hello, everyone. Well, you know, as Stuart said, we, we are at the moment in the midst of an absolutely red-hot global deals market and and for me this is being fueled primarily by an historically low cost of capital which means corporates and financial buyers such as private equity are looking to deploy this capital to really accelerate growth and gain scale and and, and digitize their businesses to to pivot to the current um, environment that we're operating in. But I'd say the interesting thing to me and one of the things that's really driving a difference in approach is that, yeah, the, the M&A transaction that, that hits the headlines, that, that's only half the story for me because for every M&A transaction that you read about, there's an associated business reorganisation that sits behind that or alongside it. For example, you know, rationalisation of structures following a change of ownership, pre-sale business carve-outs, post-sale integrations, or IPO readiness where where organisations are spinning off a a particular division. And my view actually is that's where we're seeing the really interesting different approaches to these types of transactions from from some of our our clients. Um, Paula, what, what what are you seeing? Thank you, Peter. We have seen a substantial increase in cross-border restructuring, you know, uh, involving China. 
And honestly speaking, there's a, there has been a move due to supply chain reasons, you know, a move of you know, MNCs out of China into Southeast Asia, probably you know, even back to Europe or, or North America. And uh, that's a lot. Ha- that has a lot to do with uh, the sometimes you no know, intensified relationship between China and uh, you know a lot of you know uh, countries. But at the same time, you know, due to China's performance, you know, during COVID nineteen, we have seen an increased interest of you know probably smaller and medium sized you know, MNCs coming to China. They would like to, you know, take advantage of the scale of the size of the Chinese market, and they would like to, you know, sometimes pair with a joint venture partner in China just to explore the China market. So that's the reason why we have seen, you know, the the moving in and out of MMCs, which you know give rise to a lot of restructuring work. At the same time, you know, they has we have enjoyed a extremely active stock market. Secondary market. As a result, you know there have been a lot of restructurings, you know, to qualify, uh, and originally a Chinese subsidiary, and now a Lisco in China for an IPO, and uh, and that has you know given rise to a lot of restru- restructuring work. So I think you know that gives KPMG with a substantial global legal you know network a lot of opportunities in this type of projects. Anna, what do you see in Canada? Thanks, Paula. Like like you and like Peter, we're seeing a, a red hot global M and A market. What I think has changed, I mean, and some of it is for the reasons Peter mentioned with our low cost of capital. The other is a lot of people were sitting on capital pending, you know, coming out of the pandemic, and they had sufficient capital to get through it that they now want to deploy. One thing that we're seeing a little bit more of is more creative pricing structures because you're no longer able to look back for 12 months and look at, you know, a multiple during the pandemic period because for some companies like food delivery companies, it would be a much higher valuation than you have for other companies and, you know, entertainment, hotel, the valuation would be off. So what I'm seeing now is a re-emerging trend to a much larger portion of the purchase price being based on earnouts to try to account for the pricing uncertainty that, uh, that the last year, year and a half has left. Related to that, we're also seeing a lot more deals where the sellers are taking an interest in the buyer to try to also bridge this pricing gap. And that's led to far more reorganizations because the organizations need to be restructured to allow the buyers to effectively take that position. So that's what I've been seeing kind of in the last uh, few months, Stuart. Great. Thanks, Anna. Well, I think that was a terrific introduction to some of the commercial uh, insights and uh, and uh, moves in the market that we're seeing. So Christian and Luciana, let's sort of come back to the legal uh, area just for one second. So what are some of the key legal and commercial challenges that we're seeing in this environment when it comes to transactions? So Christian, over to you. Thanks, Stuart. Yeah, well, take, for example, the automotive industry that we are working quite closely in the last, uh, over the last, let's say, decade here at KPMG Law. Um, they are facing a rapidly changing market. Um, you have the digitalization aspect and you also have the electromobility aspect. And both of these aspects are really, you know, being a challenge uh, for, for bringing these companies to a successful future. Most of these clients you see now actually thinking about either staying with the internal combustion engine and being somebody like the last man standing on the market or carving the business out and selling it. Uh, And both are really uh, high challenges 
that are uh, changing the German, but also I would say the uh, worldwide market in this big industry. And uh, that is a perfect example um, of how we work together in this group actually of people, but also with other colleagues um, from also the tax and valuation teams. Uh, and, and this is not only a legal, but also a legal uh, challenge that, that they are facing. And of course, I mean, we're, we're happy to help there. Luciana, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, everything here. Uh, I just would like to, to point out two important topics that we, we have in Brazil. One is the new insolvency law uh, that um, allows any any creditor or any person to, to acquire assets in a corporate reorganization proceeding without any type of legal succession, including terms of environment and anti-corruption. So we, we think that there will be a, an, an increase of m a transactions within this, this area, uh, which is very makes makes a lot of sense due to the pandemic situation. The, the companies are, are are facing financial difficulties here. But the challenge is that this kind of proceeding in Brazil is still expensive because we have lots of stakeholders. So on one hand, we think that there will be there will be uh, lots of opportunities for many transactions in this kind of reorganization, but on the other hand, it's, it's still expensive. And another important topic that we need to mention here is the tax reform. Uh, we are discussing now a, a huge tax reform in Brazil that tends to, to eliminate some tax benefits that are very typical from Brazil, just, just like the possibility of reorganization business at book value, amortization of goodwill. So we also think that from now until the end of the year, there will be a, a race for the conclusion of M&A deals because uh, people will, will like to, to take the advantage of the current laws uh, instead of going to, to the new laws that will be enforced as from next year. Great. Thanks, Luciana. Well, the, these transactions, whether we're dealing with a, a local or a regional or a global business reorganization or M&A transaction, they're, they're large, complicated transactions. So um, I'm quite interested to see what changes that we're actually seeing in the role of legal departments in these deals, um, particularly over the last two to three years and also in the wave of the last 12 to 18 months in COVID. So maybe Peter and Anna, some views from you on that question. Thanks, Stuart. So, I mean, you, you, you've hit on the key point there. You know, if, if you look at, you know, if I focus on the, the international business reorganisation piece, you know, I think for me, there's been a growing recognition and definitely over the last two to three years by general counsel and, and heads of legal that these projects are unique. You know, they're, they're, they're complex, complicated beasts and, and, and they require a different set of tools uh, in order to deliver them successfully. Yeah, they're big, they're complex, they're often long running. Um, and I think there's three key things that have come out from me that, that I'm hearing clients are demanding now from their advisors to help facilitate the legal departments to deliver these projects. So that's, that's very strong and centralized project management capability which brings together you know, a range of disciplines in terms of professional advisor, be it tax, legal, uh, accounting advisory, plus, plus, plus. 
and also on top of that, to bring together all the different specific jurisdictional advice, you know, uh, a representation of which you, you've you've got on this call. The second thing for me that I'm hearing loud and clear is that technology solutions to facilitate these deals have gone from a nice to have to an absolutely must have. Yeah, it's a non-starter not to have a technology platform to deliver these projects. Mm. And then thirdly, for me, again, what we're hearing loud and clear is that, that clients want uh, advisors with deep specialism in these types of projects. So if you're talking an M&A project, they want M&A lawyers, but if you're talking a large, complex international business reorganisation, they want lawyers, they want advisors with deep specialism in that. They don't want M&A lawyers that are trying to do international business reorgs. Anna, I don't know what you're saying. I'm saying some of the same and some things that are, are a little bit different. I'm, I'm not saying as much on the specialization, but that could just be because Canada is such a small country that we can't necessarily have that degree of specialization. But what I am seeing is an acknowledgement that these are specialized skills. And what, what I mean by that is if I go back five, six years ago, there had been a trend for general counsel to try to move a lot of this in-house and to just come to external lawyers for small parts of it. And I think um, I've seen a recognition in the last few years that that's just not, not an efficient way to manage things. And they really are looking for their external counsel to take on the project management, the technology aspect. Um, the, the other thing I've seen a lot of from general counsel, more especially in the wake of you know of COVID-19 the last year, is they're looking for creativity a lot more than mm. they used to, in that it used to kind of be these are just, these are easy, you know, they're just paper, move them around. Now they're realizing that there is real potential liability and real potential risk surrounding these. And they're really looking for their lawyers to help them mitigate that and understand it much better in a way they might not have previously when they would have just said, oh, get rid of that company. I don't, I don't care. So that, that's been a huge change um, in the face of COVID is I'm seeing more of this stuff moving back outside to specialists. Great. Well, I think that's, uh, that's great. And Peter, I think your, um, your sort of comment about good lawyers with technology and project management and jurisdictional coverage is a, is a sort of great great way to sum up uh, the way to deliver deals and certainly the complexity driving the need for that broader solution. So now let's, let's move on to the sort of next thing we're talking about, which is, you know, some of the challenges that our clients and their businesses are facing in this market. So I'm going to come to Paula, uh, Christian and Luciana with just a sort of uh, sort of introductory question around, you know, the biggest challenges and the opportunities that you see clients facing in this market when it comes to deal execution. So it really follows on from that last question around deal execution. And uh, what do you think are some of the factors that are influencing both the challenges and the opportunities that our clients are facing in this area? So Paula, to you first and then to Christian and then Luciana. Yeah, Stu, thank you very much for the question. Uh, I think, you know, in comparison with a lot of uh, international corporate clients, Chinese clients are relatively, I mean, they're very smart, but they're less experienced mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, sophisticated in terms of international MA transactions. So that's the reason why, you know, uh, taking an example of the, the recent deals we just closed, representing a consortium of you know, Chinese investors, you know, acquiring uh, $180 million U.S. dollar, you know, carve-out business of a legal, legal uh, 100, you know, uh, company. I think, you know, just uh, the first challenge will come from, you know, the clients, you know, lack of experience with respect to the international bidding procedures. So that's the reason why, you know, it requires a lawyer to be more than a lawyer or legal advisor. A lot of times you need to be the PMO coordinating the entire process, right? And uh, I, 
actually serve the, the dual role of a financial advisor and a, and a lawyer while charging the clients only for the legal fees you know, for that particular <laughs> transaction. And the second, you know, uh, second matter uh, comes, you know, after a second challenge comes you know, after the execution of a share purchase agreement. When, you know, when the, the uh, given the fact that deal is related to the carve out, you know, business of, uh, of a major, you know, company. So that's a, that's a philosophy or different ways of running a business, you know, between a multinational corporate client versus of a Chinese, you know, private only, you know, uh, client. And uh, so uh, luckily, you know, on the platform of KPMG, we do have, you know, the assistance from the strategy team of advisory and which, you know, which specialize in the separation and integration of, uh, of you know, of such a, uh, such a, such carve-out, you know, businesses. So for that particular project, you know, I think you know, it was on the unified platform of KPMG that we were able to successfully close this deal and win the trust and, you know, recognition of the client. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that's, uh, you know, that that presents, you know, challenges, you know, to the client, but definitely, you know, opportunities for, you know, KPMG as a unified service provider. So what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I strongly agree, Paula, with what you said and, and also what, what Peter said earlier. Um, these business transactions, these IBR transactions, they are calling for someone who provides a solution. Now, it's not an, the normal lawyer that goes to court and then back home again. It is really somebody who provides a solution uh, with regard to the uh, transaction that is envisaged. Uh, and you don't only need the legal knowledge, you also need your tax and valuation colleagues, and you don't need them only on board in your home uh, turf jurisdiction. You also need them on board of course worldwide yeah so you have multiple disciplines involved you have multiple uh, jurisdictions involved and often you have also uh, several processes involved because you you also need it for example or you want to have a carve out implemented in the course of an m&a deal so there are many work streams to coordinate yeah? and that's what we are seeing exactly as well in germany that the client is facing an enormous um, PMO problem, I would say. Yeah? And that is why we do have a legal PMO here in place that is um, accompanying uh, those uh, bigger transactions as I know uh, other jurisdictions have as well. And we are more and more relying on, on legal due diligence and other legal process tools to really cover that. Yeah? So this is a global world and uh, you need you know, to, to face these challenges uh, in those projects and that what that's in my experience what's what what clients are looking for nowadays Luciana yeah uh, talking about Brazil uh, there is something very specific when we talk about carve outs uh, is that if we are talking about a regulated business we we cannot simply transfer a special license and permit from date to night from from day to night so these requires are are very good planning uh, before the deal is closed, uh, in order to avoid any interruption of the of the activities, because in Brazil usually all these kind of license and permits are connected even with the tax authorities. So if you miss uh, a certain license, you can be uh, you can have problems in issuing invoice, for example. So this is a very sensitive subject here in Brazil that requests uh, a very good planning. 
experience, not only legal advice, but also experience from other transactions and a good PMO, of course. Great. Thank you. Look, as a number of you have said, you know, we're in a red hot market. There's plenty of demand and, and plenty of deal activity, but we're also living in a very complex world. So I'm quite interested to find out if there's any changes in the way that we're seeing the market allocate risk in these sort of transactions. Uh, is the due diligence scope or the way diligence is being conducted different differently? Are we seeing different uses and more use of uh, warranty indemnity insurance and things like that? So maybe Anna and then Christian, your your views on that. So I've been seeing two things in the market uh, with respect to uh, allocation of risk. The first is that with respect to rep and warranty insurance, we generally used to only see it in very large transactions due to the cost, but have as insurers have become more comfortable with it, more familiar with it, and more familiar with the claims history, the cost has come down. And we're now seeing it used more and more in deals, especially deals where parties are having difficulty allocating risk on the smaller side. And there's generally a, um, a sharing of the cost of it is what I've been seeing. The second thing I've been seeing on risk allocation I talked about earlier, which is more and more earnouts coming back in to try to bridge price where there's not sure where people aren't sure of how to allocate pricing risk appropriately. And then the last thing that I've seen related to risk allocation is um, there's been more and more what I would say um, tailored diligence in areas of particular concern rather than general diligence. So those are the three things I've been seeing. Christian? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it comes to M&A deals in Germany, you also see uh, W&I insurance uh, much more often than five or ten years ago. Um, what you also see is that you don't even include a tax indemnity, for example, anymore in the agreements because it is purely covered by the insurance. So there's no in, uh, indemnity on, on the seller side anymore. Um, and coming along with that, of course, due diligence scopes are changing because uh, the insurances do require uh, certain areas to be covered so that, uh, that the warranties and indemnities are insurable. Uh, so that has has, uh, has an influence also. And um, then when it comes to IBR, you also have, you know, some influence of the M&A part that sometimes um, um, yeah, is done in parallel to the IBR transaction so that you really, um, you know, you decide within the IBR transaction where the risk is allocated and then you decide in the SPA who of, of the parties then uh, actually, um, you know, has to bear that risk. Yeah, So this is closely connected and, and you have to have a team that has a look, at, uh, you know, on both sides of, of the transaction. Great. Thanks, Christian. Look, as we've, as we've said through this uh, through this discussion, um, we've seen a sort of significant increase in demand for business reorganisation, restructuring, M&A transactions, uh, I think both globally and in each of the regions. So whether you're in uh, in Europe, um, in Asia or in the Americas, we're seeing a significant increase in demand. And certainly if I look at our pipeline as a, as a global legal services function in KPMG, business reorganisation and M&A is right at the top of the list of where we see demand coming over the next 12 months. So um, Peter and Paul are just interested, you know, when, when you look at these transactions and, and the pace of them, if you're that sort of head of legal in a client who's looking to kick off a transaction in a business reorganization or M&A, what do you think are the most important um, considerations for them to take into account when, when starting these transactions? So maybe Peter and Peter, you first and then Paula. Thanks, Chair. Look, I, I think we've um, we, we've covered these points al already on the call, and and for me, they they come out sort of loud and clear as to, as to what you know in-house legal teams, heads of legal should you know really have 
absolutely nailed down at the start of these projects and for me that's the proper strong professionalized project management function really best in class enabling technology and specialists who, who really know how to do these projects be it m a be it international business reorgs and for me the, those are the three key things that are absolutely fundamental for the successful delivery of these types of projects and actually i think if you don't have those things properly in place at the outset of the transaction you're really missing an opportunity as a business to to maximize value from the transaction in question paula I think, you know, just to, from the reasons, uh, you know, in terms of restructuring the MA deals we have handled, I will have to say that sensitivity to different, you know, to legal system of, in different jurisdictions, that came, in, came out as one of the important considerations for the legal leaders. Uh, really, just such as, especially for those global restructuring projects, which involve, you know, dozens or even, you know, just uh, over 100, you know, uh, entities in, you know, just over 100 you know, jurisdictions. At least for the two matter, two projects I've recently handled, China is typically the, 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 the one, uh, you know, typically the, the more procedurally complicated ones, right? Mm. Just uh, because uh, share transfer is not that easy, you know, in China as probably it only requires a day probably in, in Germany or in the UK, but, you know, it requires <laughs> at least just you know, one or two months of preparation in China, especially when, you know, during COVID-19, the legalization and the certification process is getting even more complicated, right? And the liquidation of a Chinese entity is actually even more difficult than <laughs> setting up an entity. So it will take probably, you know, at least a couple of, a couple of months, you know, sometimes you know, over half a year or to a year, you know, duration. So at least for the the, the international restructuring projects we have handled, uh, it turned out, you know, uh, if you're not sensitive to those procedure uh, no complexities in, in, in some of the jurisdictions, you'll come up that, you know, China, China, you know, probably just a separation of a business or probably just an implementation of restructuring, you know, in China will, will ultimately turn out to be a post-closing matter because it cannot be done, you know, within the global, you know, timetable. So I think you know that's uh, that's just I'll just say definitely one uh, one matter you know which you know uh, which needs to uh, attract more attention for global leaders in this type of you know international restructuring, and also uh, Chinese companies you know just presents you know due diligence you know presents quite different challenges you know for a lot of multinational coming uh, multinational uh, clients coming to China. Especially given the fact, as I just mentioned, you know, nowadays, you know, all the big one, you know, legal 500, legal, legal uh, 100, 500 companies, they have, you know, they, they have come to China, they have, you know, uh, prosper or survive and prosper and probably decide to leave. So the the ones you know, who are coming to China nowadays, you know, who are you know who are active, you know, in the MA market, uh, tend to be the small and the medium-sized you know, multinational corporate clients who are less experienced and who are not you know exposed to the type of you know risk you know uh, they see in China-related deals. So that's the reason why I think you know uh, probably you know culture sensitivity, you know, uh, flexibility, willing to you know take on more creative measures, you know, I think, you know, mm -hmm. that's probably something to be considered by uh, global legal leaders, but also just how to say, you know, to be further explored on the on a plat platform like global legal services for KPMG.
So the complexity of China in a complex M&A or business reorganization transaction, Paula, we're lucky to have people like you as part of our team. Our clients are lucky. So um, let's turn to technology. And, and a number of you have already remarked on the impact of technology and, and the increasing use and, and, um, and rise of technology. But let's just talk about how we're seeing technology supporting uh, efficiency and compliance in deals. So Christian and Peter, interested in your views on this, which is technology even before COVID, but really accelerated by by COVID has really uh, transformed or and starting to transform the ways we're seeing these transactions done, the way our clients, legal departments operate. How are you seeing this play out in the context of a, of a business reorganization transaction? How is it changing what you need to do? And if you had a crystal ball, how do you think it'll look in the year ahead? So uh, Christian, you first and then Peter. Yeah, thank you, Stuart. Um, yeah, I think uh, technology will be key in the future. There will be uh, people that adapt to the uh, digitalization also of the legal profession and others that will not and they will simply disappear from the market. Uh, I don't know whether that is a question of two or five years, but it will happen. Uh, so it is a good thing that we at KPMG are investing a lot of uh, money and, and, and effort in, in new technologies. Uh, for example, in a in current project where we are restructuring an automotive supplier in 25 uh, jurisdictions where we also work with uh, Peter's, uh, Peter's, Peter's team. We are using uh, cloud legal. I mean, Peter, you can elaborate on that a bit more from, from the UK, which is kind of uh, the process tool where we do have all the, uh, the data in there, where we do have all the communication in there, um, where we do have the project uh, uh, management and the budgeting tool in there. Yeah? So we're not sending Excel uh, sheets across the world anymore. This is really centralized in, in, in one tool. Yeah? And uh, upcoming, there are other supporting tools that help us uh, structure uh, the, uh, the entire transaction from a tax and legal perspective in let's say something that uh, in a new program that we call currently legal document creator where you can really do the entire restructuring of the transaction worldwide and and that also helps you then to create the um, documents that you need to do that in in the kpmg network and uh, that is really going to be an exciting solution uh, that will hopefully be very soon uh, available for further transactions to come peter what do you think Thanks, Chris. Yeah, look, couldn't agree more. I think to Stuart's point, you know, ne next 12 months and beyond, technology is only going to be become more important, right? Because I, I spoke earlier about clients who are already viewing best-in-class tech as a must-have to facilitate mm -hmm. and deliver these transactions. Um, and I think just just to sort of summarise what, what what Christian said, really, I think we're seeing technology becoming increasingly important on IBR transactions in in three key areas. So the first would be that sort of suite of business diagnostic tools, so deal readiness, compliance tools, which really help prep a business um, for that transaction event, be it the M&A or the IPO, whatever it is. But that really allows the business to, to get a quick diagnostic, remediate any problems ahead of time. The second area, again, as Christian alluded to, is, is document automation. So, yeah, document automation supported by those single point of truth project rooms and delivery platforms, which really enable the transaction by creating efficiencies when we're executing. 
And then the third the third area for me is all around sort of data visualization and mining. And what this allows clients to do is really interrogate the the trends, spot the risks early. And again, that, that's just absolutely vital in, in protecting and, and maximizing value through these processes. Great. Thanks, Peter. Well, uh, Luciana and Anna, I want to come to you just for a sort of quick comment, which is, um, and, and Peter and Christian have spoken about it in terms of the impact of technology, but data and analytics, you know, and the use of data, just how you're seeing that changing the way deals are being done or the way diligence is being done on deals. So maybe Luciana first and then Anna. Well, Stuart, here in Brazil, the the legal departments are, are discussing the, the legal transformation the digitalization of all the proceedings, the management of licenses and uh, receiving of notice for summons. We, we have seen these uh, discussions uh, very deeply. And I think that the, the legal department that will be more uh, digital, uh, will have the information at hand, uh, will, will help their companies to, to conclude deals in a more... Um, faster and safer way. It will be actually a business partner. Uh, so that will be very important. Uh, we usually, we, including we, we are having more uh, virtual negotiations here in Brazil due to the pandemic situation. So uh, we have much more virtual interactions than presentation meetings that we had in the past. Uh, a more uh, wide use of the electronic and digital signatures than in the past. So we have seen all these uh, changes very quickly, and that will be very important for the, the conclusion of deals. So if, if I look at uh, what, what I'm thinking, I'm thinking with any large client that I've you know signed up MSA or that we're looking at doing multiple transactions with lately, data analytics, analytics is actually becoming a key to their MSAs. And what they're asking is that after each deal, you put together, you use the data you have to analyze where we could be more efficient, even if it's not related to the deal. I've had clients who come back to me who um, you know are looking for us to analyze after we implement um an entity rationalization transaction to explain where their internal record keeping is weak so that they can improve for the next deal, where they're having trouble finding, you know, permits or licenses. So what they're really using, I find, is they're looking for us to use all the data we collected to help analyze how they could improve their internal operations, which is not something that we would normally think of in the bailiwick of lawyers, but it's something that's almost becoming essential. And so we need to make sure we're implementing technology which allows us to do that. The second thing I've seen is more companies who are looking to track for a four or five year period after the deal, where the problems arise, where claims are made, so that they could focus better their, you know, their concerns when they're doing a deal, their risk allocation on areas that are real and material rather than areas that are potentially perceived as real and material but never arise. So that's kind of the two uses I'm seeing of data analytics that I really wasn't seeing five years ago in the market. Thanks, Anna. Data and digital is uh, they're the sort of twin words of importance going forward, don't we think? So now I'm just going to come to each of you now with one final question, just conscious of our time. And, and this is the crystal ball sort of conclusion question for you all and, and looking at what uh, what we think are the most important things for our clients today. So uh, just sort of one final question around um, if you could if you could say to, to our clients and, and the legal departments of our clients, what do you think is going to be the most important thing for them to do in the next year in terms of executing M&A or um, business reorganization transactions uh, and any any final thoughts you'd like to share? So, Peter, I'm going to come to you first. 
Thanks, Stuart. So for me, I would say take a holistic approach. I think two practical things you can do there is make sure you've got that strong, dedicated project management function in place to bring together your multiple advisors and your multiple jurisdictional advice to, to make sure it runs smoothly. And secondly, just leverage technology, demand that cutting edge, leading edge technology is used to facilitate these projects. Um, and I think if, if general counsels in-house teams can do that, yeah, they're really, really going to satisfy their stakeholders in, in the business by doing a great job of, of maximising the value um, you know, on, on executing these transactions. Luciana? I, uh, I would... I would say that it's important to think about the simplification of the, the agreements and wording of the clauses, because uh, if you want to use more technology to, to read contracts, to, uh, to analyze data, it's important to have a kind of more standard language. So I think it's, it's good to think about like an industry of M&A where you have um, more simplified documents and uh, a standard that talks to, to each other and uh, you, you help technology uh, to, to, to read and interact with these documents. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Christian? I would really say in IBR transactions uh, that clients should focus on a strategic, a deep strategic analysis before they actually start the project. Uh, sometimes you see that people start with a legal part or with a text part or with a valuation part. But what you actually in the beginning need is a strategic analysis of what you want to achieve. Yeah? If you want to do an IPO that is totally different from, from selling part of the business or have an investor or, or, or just keeping uh, keeping it and as a, as a part of your business. Uh, and so if you do that, the strategic holistic view, as Peter also mentioned, in the beginning, uh, then everything else comes from that. Yeah? And, and then you can really decide when do you want to start which work stream and what is the timetable for that work stream. Great, thank you. Uh, Paula? I think, you know, the successful execution of an international deal involves a good combination of uh, the local trust as well as the international capacity. And I think, you know, just uh, uh, these two factors come to a nice harmony just on the platform of, you know, global legal services on the KPMG platform. We have, you know, just how to say trusted, you know, local council in different jurisdictions, but we can rely on, you know, just to, to win the trust of uh, our clients and to build this, you know, a local relationship. And I think, you know, that's uh, how as a lawyer Shanghai, uh, relatively new in its establishment, have, you know, win uh, major projects, you know, many thanks to this, you know, a perfect combination of two factors. Perfect. Thank you. And Anna? So, so I think both for internal and external counsel, I think there's going to be an increased uh, focus on kind of pragmatism and flexibility in that they want, you know, I think both in-house and external, they want the lawyers need to have a better and continue growing understanding of the business. And like Christian said, the business goals. And 10, 15 years ago, there was very clear definition of this is a lawyer's role and this is your other advisor's role. Clients and internal clients, if you're in-house, are now looking for you to have a full understanding of what's going on. And that doesn't mean that you're going to have your lawyers start suddenly doing valuations, but it's more the understanding of when this business knowledge needs to be pulled in properly so that there's 
not only a one-stop shop for multi-jurisdictions, but a one-stop shop for services and someone who is leading from all aspects, not just from a single aspect. It seems that with the uh, business reorganizations, that role is going to come to the lawyers to ultimately pull it all together. So lawyers really need to look into that and make sure they understand both the goals, but all the different areas that are involved to getting this done. Great. Thanks, Anna. Look, that, that brings our session to a close, and I think it's been a wonderful sort of dis uh, discussion getting the insights from um, from the five of you. Just a few um, sort of wrapping up thoughts from my perspective. I, th I think, you know, we, um, we're in a very active market, a red hot market, as a number of you said, to think creates enormous opportunities for clients and, and for advisors. Uh, but we're also living in a complex world. So whether that's the COVID impact or the speed of transactions, the risk allocation, the impact of technology. So that need to manage business opportunity, complexity and risk, I don't think has ever been more important. Uh, I think what uh, the big themes that have come out from here uh, for me are you need to have great lawyers, good quality lawyers. Uh, you need to have good project management and a good way of doing things. So like a global solution to execute these opportunities for our clients. Uh, you clearly need to have good technology. I think every one of you has, has spoken about technology and certainly what we're seeing with demand from clients is you need to have a tech uh, enabled part of the way we do things because otherwise it's not a solution and lastly you need a great global platform you need to be able to have the one advisor in as many jurisdictions as possible and of course um, wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't saying wouldn't say then you know what this uh, group of people from KPMG and our, our, our friendly firms really show is the breadth of that platform that KPMG and KPMG law can offer. So I think we are that classic one-stop solution of great lawyers, technology solutions, project management as well as a geographic platform. So thanks to uh, each of you for making the time. I think your insights have been great from across Europe, across Asia uh, and across the Americas. Uh, I hope everybody has a good rest of the day and thank you for joining us. Stuart, on behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you and the rest of the panel for your time today. It's been a fascinating discussion to listen to. To let us know what you think of this episode, and if you have any ideas for future episodes, please email us at lawservices at kpmg.com. And remember, you can find our latest publications, articles, and other materials that address the issues discussed in this ongoing podcast series at www.kpmg.com forward slash future of legal. It's important to note that certain member firms in the KPMG International Network, including the US member firm KPMG LLP, do not provide legal services. Legal services may not be offered to SEC registrant audit clients or were otherwise prohibited by law. Thanks for listening. <laughs>